Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. The lead at the summit changed three times over the weekend with Arsenal clinging on to top spot. But could Liverpool shock everyone with their own title charge? They seem to be going away from home now and, you know, looking for them three points. I think once they get that consistency of reaching that standard away from home, I think Liverpool will be the real deal in in certainly winning the title. The crisis has been averted at Old Trafford and we're told the best is yet to come. We're hoping to give the supporters some more goals here, not just the two, but uh, we'll maybe keep them for later on in the season. And it's never been tighter at the foot of the table with the man in charge at Sunderland working his magic. It was time to go and do something special and, and the last they were superb. You don't score four goals away from home too many times in your life. A very important victory. On this week's show, we discuss what promises to be one of the most competitive ever Barclays Premier Leagues. We speak exclusively to former Liverpool midfielder Jason McAteer, who explains why the Reds can challenge for the title this season. A Sunderland fan who's been cheering his side on from the terraces since the 1950s discusses a new lease of life for the Mackhams. And we hear from Vincent Company, Jack Wilshire and John O'Shea. Hello and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm Marcus Buckland and joining me to look back at another frenetic weekend of action is the former West Ham Crystal Palace and Southampton striker Ian Dowie. Hello to you, Ian. Marcus. Top seven clubs all winning, bottom 11 separated by just six points. It's a remarkable table at the moment, isn't it? I think we quite often get fantastic finishes at the top or fantastic finishes at the bottom. It would be Definitely possible, and I think it definitely happened, that both will go right down to the wire. What surprised me at the top is, a little bit under the radar, Everton, just everyone's talking about everyone else but Everton. And I think they're, they're serious contenders. Yeah, just about every team with uh, so much to play for between now and the end of the season. And just a brief word on Cristiano Ronaldo winning the Ballon d'Or on Monday night, breaking uh, Leo Messi's four-year domination. Fully deserved as far as you're concerned? Yeah, I think there's no doubt he's been the best footballer in the world this year. I mean, his goal return for Real Madrid and for Portugal simply sensational. He's a phenomenal player. Yeah, he's certainly done the business for club and for country. The former Aston Villa and Everton midfield player Thomas Hitchelsperger, of course, announced last week uh, that he is gay. Now, how positive a step forward was that for modern-day football? Yeah, I think it's a hugely positive step. I mean, the the next step would be a footballer hasn't retired coming out. I mean, in my my view, it would never have mattered your sexual orientation as long as you you were a good player. That's... You were judged on your merits and it's wonderful. And he's talked very much about it. You know, he never came across it and I think that's very brave of him. And I think there'll be a culture eventually where it will come out and rightly so. And it shouldn't make no difference anyway. Absolutely. OK, let's uh, start off at St James's Park where on Sunday Manchester City moved to the top of the table for 24 hours with that controversial 2-0 win over Newcastle. Dzeko and Negredo with the City goals. But of course the main talking point afterwards was the Newcastle goal that wasn't given. Uh, what was your take on Teoti's disallowed effort well first and foremost what a fantastic game of Barclays Premier League football it was absolutely I, I, I was at the game it was quite incredible um, they just get it wrong Chiotes had one against Arsenal I never thought he'd hit another one he finds a left foot quite sensational and, and they get it wrong between them but you know what also quietly gone under the radar how impressive Negredo was in a very physical attritional type game he showed a different side to his game and, and you know they found a way to win again there's no doubt that Newcastle probably deserved at least a draw, but they didn't. Man City ground the result out. You mentioned Negredo. Joe Hart in goal, um, obviously um, didn't see that shot, uh, supposedly, <laughs> but in general, how impressed have you been by his 
form since he returned to City's number one. Well, it was the only only thing he didn't see. I mean, he made a couple of great saves, particularly one from Remy with his left foot. But every time there's a ball in the box, he looked confident, looked composed, punched at the right time. His decision-making seems back to its very best, and I think that's very important. I thought he lost that. I think Joe's is Achilles' heel, is that sometimes he wants to get involved, Hugo Lloris-type keeper. I think sometimes let defenders deal with it and make saves. And he's starting to come round to that. He did have one issue on, on the game, but other than that, he was outstanding. Well, another key component uh, in the City defence uh, is Captain Vincent Company, who was proud of how they held on for the three points. It was a very difficult game. I mean, before you come to Newcastle, you know it's going to be a difficult game. Ultimately, you just focus on, on the scoreline. And, you know, in a different way, it was a good performance from us as well. We had to dig deep. I don't think they were more dangerous than we were, but they were definitely the more dominant team in that game, which is not often the case, but a lot of physical battles, and I think we did that job very well. So uh, it's a good performance, but in a different way. Well, they're now unbeaten in 15 matches in all competitions. Until recently, Ian, we were talking about their suspect away form, but it's four wins in five on the road. They look just about unstoppable at the moment, don't they? Yeah. Because only 14 points before the weekend, 14 from 30 away from home. So that's 17 from 33. Wouldn't suggest that's incredible away form. But I still look at that left side of their defence and for me, there's question marks to be had. You know, Demichelis and Kolarov defensively, I still think that's an area. Trouble is you don't have enough of the ball. Newcastle were excellent. I got Vincent Company was back to his very, very best. So I just think there's a power and an energy about the team right down the spine. You know, Cartnow, Company, Fernandinho and Torre, who was very good, Fernandinho. And then... Of course, Negredo and whether it's Zeko or Aguero, it's very difficult to see past that. No other sides haven't the Yaya Torre. There's not many players in the Barclays Premier League like him. Mm. Yeah, well, they've been linked with Luke Shaw as they, as they look to try and stiffen their defence, which obviously wouldn't be a bad signing. 94 goals well, no, no. in all competitions. Um, one more already than in the entire 2012-2013 campaign. 19 Aguero, 19 Negredo, 13 Yaya Torre, 13 Zeko. It's phenomenal. And, and, and you've got to admire Pellegrini and the way he's gone about changing the tempo. You have to say they're actually three points worth than when they were under Mancini in that time. So people forget how good a job he did. Yeah, they've, they've got the momentum. The, the, the one setback, of course, was the injury to Sami Nasri, who's going to be out for uh, around about eight weeks. Bad challenge from Yanga Mbiwa, who, to his credit, has tried to apologise afterwards. But um, he, he was woefully late there, wasn't he? Woefully late. And I think one of them petulant challenges, he knew he'd gone, he just swiped at him. I actually thought at the time, it didn't look like it was an eight-week injury, but unfortunately it has. And for Sami Nasri, when do you get the opportunity to play in Champions League knockout stage against Barcelona? And for Newcastle, Ian, third successive league defeat, four in a row uh, altogether, having gone out of the FA Cup to Cardiff uh, as well. So where does that leave Alan Pardew at the moment? Obviously furious, you could tell that by his reaction on the sidelines. I still think they're a very good side. No Colaccini, no Debucci. Again, that, that the balance of that side. I mean, they got exposed down that their right hand side by the, the early goal. So I think Alan Pardew's in a good position. I think they'll strengthen in not massive money, but they'll, they'll tinker with the squad, and I think they'll be fine. I can't see them finishing any lower than eighth. I think they're a very good side, and they, if they had a good run, they could push on up to you know to six, and that would be a fantastic season. Uh, and Loic Remy's goals have dried up. Is that just a, a temporary blip? Do you think? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, he, he didn't do too much wrong with the attempt he had. Poor play from Zabaleta and company. The only time they were poor in the game. I like Remy. I think he poses pace, poses power. Be interested to see. You know, whether there's any movement there, because if there's a permanent deal, that, that, that loan deal can get cancelled. So mm. 
be interested to see what happens in the window. He's, there'll be a lot of people looking at him. Well, on Monday night, Arsenal regained top spot with that hard-fought 2-1 win at Aston Villa. Uh, Wilshire and Giroud with the goals, but like City, they had to hang on at the end to make sure of the three points. A great result, first and foremost, let's say that. You know, they found a way to win. I thought Villa were really poor in the first half, whether three at the back or four at the back. They never got going. I thought Arsenal didn't need to be nowhere near their best. Wiltshire was their best player, probably. In the end, Sanya turned out to be their best and, and Mertesacker had done some good things. But Arsenal, were, I thought, were very, very poor second half. Didn't move the ball quickly and Villa found a way back in. You could see Arsene Wenger's frustration at a number of games and people being out. He hates this, this Christmas period, you can tell it. And so they, they found a way to come through it unscathed and they're still top and there is a resilience. I still feel Walcott is going to be a could be a tipping point on whether they win the Barclays Premier League. I think he's that important to him. Yeah, that was a, a cruel blow, wasn't it, for both the player and for the club? Let's hear from uh, Jack Wilshire, who was asked after the game if there's been talk of the title in the dressing room. Um, no, we just got to take each game as it comes. We know we're top of the league, and we say before every game, you know, well, tonight's game, we said, listen, if we win, we're going to go back to the top. So that's important. But we got to take each game as it comes. Now, you know, we've had a game every three days up to now, and now we've got a week off. You know, so it's important we get our rest in, and then. You know, we've got a home game next week and we'll go again. Other injury problems after the game, uh, Montreal, um, Riziki broke his nose as well. O- on the plus side, Arsene Wenger is, is set to sign a new contract. You've mentioned that resilience. We, we saw it in the wins at, at Newcastle and West Ham. So, uh, despite those injury mm. concerns, he's got to have a feel-good factor. At the yeah, moment, he has. Um, you know, very pleased with Jack Rucci being back. I mean, I'm a massive admirer of Arsene Wenger. If you look at his value-added to his teams, I'm not sure anyone does better than him. You know, he brings players in, sells them on throughout his career, put Arsenal through the most difficult time of their football history in terms of money, and he found a way to guide them through it. So I really admire him. Um, I wonder whether maybe he will not step back a bit, but, you know, he's been there a long while, maybe director of football-type role in, few, in to come and still be there for the rest of his life because I can't see him going anywhere else. You know, he's an institution. And what a great director of football he'd be eventually. I'm not saying now, but you could see him being there for a long, time, long, yeah. long time. Yeah, but he certainly lives and breathes football, doesn't he? As for Villa, well, despite the defeat, their manager, Paul Lambert, took encouragement from that much-improved second-half display. I think we were the better side in the second half and we got the goal, which I thought we deserved, and then we hemmed them in. But the first half we lost we lost Nathan at a really poor time and um, that blocked us a bit the two goals one after the other certainly put you in the back foot but the response from the second half we can't compliment high enough for that you heard the crowd's reaction and to be fair the crowd they, they appreciated the lads efforts in the, in the second half and um, if you play like that we will certainly win more games than not but that's the way to play the game especially in the second half of course, the plus mark was Benteke getting back on the score sheet. The negative, an injury to Nathan Baker, knocked out in the first half. And interestingly, Ian Lambert's uh, confirmed his interest in Grant Holt, who he managed at Norwich. Uh, is that the sort of player they need right now to get away from trouble? Oh, I think Grant Holt's a very, very good player. I think he brings a, a back-to-goal link player and, and, and goals in the box. You know, for sure, it gives that the ability to go with two up front and a bong hall wide and Vyman wide. I mean, I like Vyman. Surprised he didn't play last night. He's not a like-for-like replacement for Benteke, that's for sure. And it's interesting, their best spell of the game was hitting big diagonals to Benteke. You know, there's nothing wrong with that when you're as powerful as he is in the air. And, uh, yeah, it was a better display, although one that I thought was on the back of Arsenal, not really playing anywhere near their potential. But I think it's very important they do add some bodies. I would think that their other areas more important for Villa than centre-forward. Well, next uh, for Villa is a trip to Anfield and coming up we'll be speaking exclusively to former Liverpool midfielder Jason McAteer about the free-scoring Reds. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Marcus Buckland. 
Just below Arsenal and City in third spot are Chelsea, who ground out a solid 2-0 victory at Hull on Saturday. Four wins in a row now for the Blues, so they appear to be hitting form at just the right time. Yeah, and not unsurprisingly, with Frank Lampard's injury, David Luiz becoming a midfield player, and a very good one at that. You know, another centre-half in midfield, but with great ability, adds that you know more resilience to the team. And going forward, they've got players who can hurt them. Torres shows that he's capable of drifting past people, and Hazard's just simply... I think he's been a magnificent signing for Chelsea, full stop. Yeah, well, Hazard was once again the man of the match, scored the crucial first goal, and Jose Mourinho is pleased to be seeing the best of the Belgian. No, he's confident, he's happy, he's feeling comfortable with, with the responsibility because in this moment he has more responsibility. One thing is to play in a team that is 20 points behind the leader and another thing is to play for a team that uh, winning the game becomes leader. Uh, he's coping well with that uh, responsibility, he's more aggressive now, he's more um, focused not just in enjoying his game but in produce things for his team and trying to score goals. So he's giving us some great performances that we need. Well, it's nine Barclays Premier League goals this season for Hazard. He's their top scorer. Mourinho says he's worth around about £100 million at the moment. Perhaps not too much of a, an overestimation of his value, the way he's playing. Well, maybe a slight <laughs> exaggeration, but people, I thought, last year didn't give him the credit he deserved. Came from a different culture, settled in so well, got his fair share of goals last year, 17, I think, in all competitions. And on this year, you know, the way he finishes, that, that little dummy just to take Alex Bruce on his backside and then whip it into the... I mean, it's a stunning finish. And there's nothing he cannot do. I mean, he's a he's a top, top player. And as long as Chelsea have him in the team, they're capable of winning games. And you talked about Torres being able to get past players and, and he scored back-to-back goals in the league now for the first time in over a year. Do you think he, he's capable of reproducing that sort of form between now and the end of the season, which obviously Chelsea need from one of their strikers? Well, if he does, they'll be right up there. And, I, you know, the goal last week was a very instinctive goal for rebound. Not easy header. Easy to miss. He found a way of getting it back in. And this one's different. Drifts past him. You know, doesn't get it purely, but finds a way to get it. The ball to go in the net. And he's had many attempts where he's hit the keeper and hit defenders. Certainly his work rate is, is back where it was. And a notable hashtag you are football moment from the weekend. Uh, Petr Cech keeping his 209th clean sheet for the club. That beat Peter Bonetti's club record, which says it all, doesn't it? Well, I think he's had a very good bounce back. Very difficult time he had in Euros. People never thought he was quite the keeper he was off that head injury with Stephen Hunt, but now looks to be back in that omnipotent type form. And he was, you know, what an achievement that is for him and seems one of the generally the nice guys of football. Yeah. And an interesting time of the season for Hull. Their third defeat in four. They're still in the top half of the table and yet they're only five points above the bottom three. So so how do you see them going forward from I think here? it's a very positive start to the season. You look at a defensive record's good. They weren't cut asunder by Chelsea at the weekend. Davis has been excellent. Livermore and, and Huddleston are outstanding. I think Sagbo, you know, I think there's a lot of positives to be seen. It sounds bizarre for a newly promoted. I have no worries at all about whole standing division. Yeah. Well, to the Britannia Stadium next for what was, without doubt, the game of the weekend. The eight-goal thriller between Stoke and Liverpool with the Reds emerging 5-3 victors. And these were the thoughts afterwards of a very buoyant Brendan Rodgers. We had to defend, of course, moments, and that's what you do here. I think it's the first time Liverpool have won here in the Premier League. So to do that, score the five goals that we've done and put in the, the work and the effort that we, we did was, was fantastic. It shows the character of the team. To play how we played, to get five makes me very, very happy. Well, to discuss Liverpool's brilliant recent form under Rodgers, I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line now by their former midfielder, Jason McAteer. Hello, Jason. Hey, Marcus, you OK? Very well, thanks. Now, amazing, really, to think that that was Liverpool's first ever win at the Britannia Stadium. Well, it isn't, it isn't. You know, to... Teams with contrasting styles over the years, certainly under Tony Pulis, I think so. Not been the most attractive footballing team, but very effective. And you know, they've always given.
with Liverpool problems. And as you say, it was the first win there in, in a long, long time. And it was a well-deserved win. You get the feeling that maybe this was the kind of game that in the recent past, Liverpool wouldn't have won. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, very much so. Even games at Anfield over the last probably two or three seasons have been a little bit precarious for Liverpool. You don't know whether they're going to get over the line. But I think this season, I think one thing Brendan Rodgers has done fantastically well is made sure that Anfield has become a force for some teams have started to come to Anfield and feel that they can only take a point rather than take three, which they've felt over the last two or three years. But I think he knows that you can't get that fourth place Champions League or even win the Premier League title with just a good record at home. You do need to take full advantage of games away from home that you feel you can win. They seem to be going away from home now and looking for them three points. I think once they get that consistency of reaching that standard away from home, I think Liverpool will be the real deal in, in certainly winning the title. And of course, the SAS partnership grabbed all the headlines on Sunday night. Luis Suarez with a couple. Daniel Sturridge getting the fifth. Just how good are those two as a pairing for you? I think what Liverpool have been blessed with for the last probably 20, 30, 40 years even going back to Keegan and Toshak, that is a partner that's always worked. You've seen it with Russian Daglish, Aldridge and Beardsley and Fowler Collymore. I've speak to Robbie over the weekend and we were talking about great partnerships and he said people might find it hard to believe but his favourite partner was Stan Collymore. They scored over 50 goals together and Liverpool have always been blessed and it's no different this season with Suarez and Daniel Sturridge. It was a big loss for Liverpool over the Christmas period losing Daniel Sturridge but the fact that Louis Suarez has been in such good form carried Liverpool through and you worry if when they come back are they going to click again and they just got right back into it again against Stoke and they're on the same wavelength. There's no animosity there to who's scoring more goals than the other. They want to help each other and, and that was very much the case when Daniel came on against Stoke. They look the real deal again. Yeah, the stats are amazing. 51 goals in the yeah. Barclays Premier League so far this season for Liverpool. That's only eight less than Manchester City. Just in terms of tactics, if um, Brendan Rodgers wants to go with Suarez and, and Sturridge every week, and you'd understand if he did, um, how's he going to work things with the likes of Coutinho and Sterling? Uh, will one of those have to drop out, do you think? You know, when Brendan first comes to the club, he was a bit stuck in his ways. I felt with playing the same system. And then I remember us going to Manchester United away last season. We were getting beat at half-time and he changed the system for the first time. And Liverpool really took the game to Manchester United and should have come away with a draw. And I just felt that Brendan sort of opened his ideas up to changing systems. And then obviously Coutinho was just finding his feet in the team and obviously Daniel Sturridge had signed. And there was always a question mark, how are we going to play now with these two players? But then Brendan decided to change the system. He went sort of 4-4-2 at one point. I mean, we went five at the back against a few teams, play them to a front. And it seemed to work. But when you've got really intelligent players, which Liverpool have, I think they're not adverse to playing in all different positions. But I do think he needs to be careful. He doesn't upset the balance too much with the formation and upset other players. Because I think you've got to mention how good Jordan Henderson's been this season. He's been an absolute revelation. And I think since Brendan's come, I think he's found the position. I think he's much more disciplined in the way he plays. And he's very much been on the forefront of all the good things that Liverpool have done. So I think it's important you don't unsettle players like Jordan Henderson just to get Daniel in the team or just to get Coutinho in the team. I'm sure Brendan will figure it out. And just a word about Steven Gerrard, who you played alongside when he first broke into the Liverpool first team in the late 1990s. Do you think he's well suited to this deeper role that he took up in the Stoke game? Well, we've been talking about Steven getting deeper and deeper. And deeper uh, as, his, as his career has sort of taken on. I think the deepest he's going to get is sitting behind one of the goals. I think he's going to end up in the crowd. Isn't he? Maybe one day, yeah. Goal. But you've got to face facts. You know, Stephen Gerrard, I think, is 34 now. And possibly the way to go for Stephen in the Liverpool team is not there as much running. And that is getting deeper sort of on top of the back four, which there is a position in the team to do that. We've seen Lucas do that over the last couple of seasons. And what Stephen's got is a great range of passing. And I felt 
he was missing from the from Manchester City and the Chelsea games, and I felt that's what Liverpool were missing in a, in a leader. I felt they were missing the organisation skills that Stephen brings, the experience. And I felt if Stephen was on the pitch, Liverpool would have got over the line and would have taken three points against City. It just highlighted the fact that Liverpool, if they're going to replace Stephen Gerrard in the next couple of seasons, they need to bring that leadership quality in. Where do you think, Jason, he rates in terms of all-time greats in the Barclays Premier League? Yeah, we talk about legends, don't we? We use that word a little bit too easily, I feel. And I think that when you need to be called a legend, I think longevity is the word that goes alongside that. And I think loyalty as well has got to be put in that practice when it comes to a legend. And Stevens showed that he's always wanted to be at Liverpool. I'm sure he could have played for any club in any part of the world. He was good enough, and I'm sure... Barcelona and Madrid, Milan, I'm sure they were knocking on the door at some point. But he showed his loyalty to Liverpool. I think the fact that his number of games, his appearances for Liverpool, he's very rarely injured. And I just feel he's grown in the stature of the football club. And, you know, anyone who's put in the same bracket as Kevin Daglish has got to be doing something right. You know, the Liverpool fans are now pushing for maybe Stephen to be the number one Liverpool player of all time above Kenny, which is some accolade. Personally, Kenny's my man. And Stephen comes a very, very close second. And that's got to be the biggest compliment I could give anybody. Absolutely. And just a final point, looking ahead to the next couple of games, Aston Villa at home for Liverpool at the weekend and then Everton after that. And, well, that Merseyside derby could be one of the most competitive for several years, couldn't it? I think you're right. I think, you know, over the last 10 years, I don't think the two clubs have been as close. And I think the Bruce Mazen has done a fantastic job at Everton. I think he's been very shrewd in the transfer market at the beginning, bringing in some great loan signings. And he's got the players. He's unleashed them and he's let them go and express themselves. Ross Barkley's been a, a revelation. And you see again, he's come out of that Rooney mould. But I think Roberto's got the backing of his board. I think he'd be given more money to go again and bring more signings. And I just see Everton getting stronger and stronger. As you say, for Liverpool, now it's a massive game. It always has been a massive game. But this season, in terms of having to get the points, because Everton now are their close rivals that are pipping them for one of them places for the Champions League. And I think it's very important They've done the job against Stoke. They've now got Aston Villa, who unfortunately were beaten again at home. So Liverpool are going to take full advantage of their poor form, win that game, and it gives them that confidence and momentum. But obviously Liverpool have got the home advantage, and Liverpool have been absolutely fantastic. So fully expect Liverpool to get a result against Everton, certainly at Anfield. Jason, absolute pleasure to talk to you. Enjoy the rest of the season. Thanks very much. That's Jason McAteer. Ian, Liverpool, of course, have been brilliant going forward. They do look a little suspect at the back, um, how big a concern should that be for them? Well, I, I had um, not raised my eyebrows. I understand they were in for Begovic first before they got Mignolet. And it's not a criticism. He's, he's a great shot stopper. Just wondered about that and the relationship between him and the back four. I've still got question marks. I think Aga's their best centre-half when he's fit. Enrique's important to get back. I still Sissoko needs a little bit. So the back four's a question mark. There's no doubt. Having said that, you know, to go there and get five goals is amazing. But I've said for a while now, Liverpool the real deal in terms of challenging for the top four and maybe even better than that. Mark Hughes has been bemoaning a number of decisions over the, the Christmas period and again at the weekend. Third defeat in four for Stoke. And perhaps the big disappointment, the fact that they lost at home where they've been so hard to beat in recent months. To be fair to Mark, he's not quite had his full side out. You know, his centre-half, Wilson's playing as a centre-half and that's not his natural position, in my opinion. I think Huth and Shawcross are a very good partnership. And you know, little concerns over one or two people circling for their players. Charlie Adam, I understand, being linked with Galatasaray now. So I think it's important he keeps the squad and adds to it. It looks like Gudetti's going to come. If he does, 
Again, I don't see any problem for Stoke staying in the division. Certainly a work in progress there. A point and a place above them in 13th are Swansea, who couldn't repeat their FA Cup heroics at Old Trafford the previous week, going down 2-0 to a determined Manchester United on Saturday evening. And obviously after those three successive defeats, that was a really important three points for David Moyes. A very important second half for David Moyes. It was concerns and I think the whole crowd was anxious. Lack of tempo. You know, lack of width, that dynamism you're so used to seeing at Old Trafford wasn't there. And, you know, I understand that because there's no Rooney Van Persie. They're that important to the team. And they're wide men. They're lacking that source of quick ball, in my opinion. I think David Moyes has played his wingers a little bit narrower, but the second half displays was much better. Got Patrice Ever in the game much more. Probably the best he's played this year going forward. And, and the young boy Yanazai looks one of the stars of the future, without a doubt. Well, this is what uh, David Moyes uh, had to say about him after the match. I speak to him a lot and he tells me, you know, he could play anywhere, he would have no problem, he's not a nervous boy. He needs teaching and understanding because he's still learning the game and a lot of things he's doing. But his natural talent and ability is up there with the best and I think in time he will prove to be that. Well, next for United, of course, um, the small matter of a match against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. It'll be interesting to see what role, if any, Yanazai has in that game. And, of course, they're going to have to play it almost certainly without... Rooney as well as Van Persie. In my opinion, you know, and David Moyes may take a different view, you can't leave the lad out. He has to play. It's how you, how you structure a team so that you allow him to be himself. If they go there and get a result without Rooney and Van Persie, that is a huge fillip for the team. In fact, it may well catapult them into a, a great run of form. It's a big as, if, as, though, I stand, as I stand, I don't see that happening. I don't see him going and hurting them enough. I really don't. And I think Chelsea have the potential to hurt them defensively for sure as for Swansea well that was a seventh league game without a win they're now just three points above the relegation zone and Michael Ladrup says they now only have 13 fit players so this is a little bit of a mini crisis for them isn't it yeah it is it's all about having a cutting edge and they've, they've they dominate possession for the first half at United but never really posed a threat you know Boney's got fantastic quality but they don't really get enough service into it I think at times they are reluctant to put quality balls into the box I think they need to start doing that again when they're in wide areas and get support to Boney clearly this week it's a big big game against Spurs at home and you know they, they hopefully might have two one or two bodies back if he doesn't you can see Spurs going there and getting a result and then they oh, listen they're in they're in the shake up now but you sense with all their bodies back they'd be have more enough quality to climb away from that position they're in now well coming up we'll be focusing on what is proving to be one of the tightest relegation battles ever before we get back to the weekend's action, though, Barclays has been running a fantastic ticket competition for you, the fans, over the past month or so. You can win tickets to a match involving your club simply by telling us why you are football. And here are some of the winners we've had so far. Spurs fan Carl Bettis. I play Sunday League football for my local team every week at the age of 42. I can never walk the day after, but I love it all the same. Liverpool supporter Claire Stancliffe. I play for GB Deaf Football, have spent over £10,000 to play for my country and I'm a three-time bronze medalist. I also coach four to 12-year-olds. And how's this for dedication from Joe Drake, who says, for 10 years I would fly 5,000 miles from Singapore to watch Everton at Goodison Park. Now it's just a 200-mile drive starting at 6am. Hashtag football. Ian, you've been in and around the Barclays Premier League for years. Um, have you known of any fans to, to travel those sorts of remarkable distances? I was at West Ham, there was a ladder. The old time you used to get tickets for, and he used to travel from... He lived in Southampton, not just for the home games. He, he never missed an away game. And we had, you know, some proper trips. Fanatic would ring me on a Sunday, 
you know, probably made the worst mistake giving my number, home number. <laughs> he used to ring me on Sunday, be on the phone for 45 minutes, debriefing me about my game. It was just such a lovely fella. You couldn't, in, in the end, I had to blank his number. It was, it was, it was, it was taking up half my Sunday. But his, his passion for, for West Ham was unabating. There's so many of them about. Yeah, he certainly deserved it for that dedication. Um, to have a chance of winning tickets to watch your club, tweet why you are football to at Barclays Footy using the hashtag you are football or post it on the Barclays Football Facebook page. And you may remember that we spoke to Newcastle fan Paula Jardine on the show a few weeks ago. If you go to Barclays Football TV on YouTube, you can see the moment when a Toon legend personally delivered tickets to her door, and that is well worth a watch. I'm here with Ian Dowie as we continue our look back at the weekend's action. We'll turn our attention to the bottom end of the table now and that fascinating relegation battle. Uh, just three points separating the bottom six teams. We'll start in South Wales where 10-man West Ham recorded a priceless 2-0 victory over fellow strugglers Cardiff to relieve the pressure on manager Sam Allardyce and lift the Hammers out of the relegation zone at the Welsh club's expense. Now, did you see that result coming? Absolutely. For your Never had doubt. <laughs> yeah. Go on, be honest. No. Uh, I had huge concerns about the game. You know, Andy Carroll not quite back. One or two other injury concerns. Sam managed to get a few players back. But the, the manner of the start of the game was, was fantastic. It's the best they play for a long period. I think they deserved their lead. Then rode their luck. I mean, it was hair from scare them at times. But it's a wonderful result. And I think that's, that's where he's got to park it. You know, there's still a long, long way to go. They're still in big, big difficulties down there. And it, I just sensed even Andy Carroll coming on the pitch. And, and it's a great finish by Carton Cole, by the way. You know, if him and Carton Cole are playing together, maybe at home the odd time, not too many people are going to play against them too. So I think it gives Sam a lot more options. And he's very, very active in the market. For me, he's the manager of the weekend because he's found a way to win a game I think he had to win without. If he hadn't have won that, the pressure would have been almost too much to bear. Yeah, Carlton Cole and Mark Noble with the goals. Noble set up by the returning uh, Andy Carroll, who of course is making his first appearance of the season. He's just getting minutes on my belt tonight, um, so hopefully I get a bit longer against Newcastle. And like I say, I cannot wait for the next game. It's been an absolute nightmare, if I'm honest. I've been away to Belgium, Holland. I've been everywhere uh, trying to fix it, and now I'm feeling good and just want to play football and forget about it, put it in the past. Of course, it's great to have him back. Um, he must feel a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Though, um, Ian, because everyone's been yeah. saying, you know, when he comes back, we're going to be all right. Maybe not as simple as that. When you've been out for that length of time, you get compensation injuries. You know, other parts of your body compensate for your injury and you can pick up other things. I hope that doesn't happen. I think that's why Sam's taking so long to get him right. But yeah, there is a great deal of pressure on him. But when I look at it, a Jarvis, a Downing, even a Nolan when he comes back, so much more comes to their game because of the fact that Andy Carroll's the fulcrum. Andy at his rampaging best is very difficult to cope with. The difficulty for Sam is that maybe two or three weeks away. And he's got more defensive headaches. Guy Mel going off um, with a serious head injury. James Tompkins sent off in the second half mm. too. As for Cardiff, not quite the start to Barclays Premier League management that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was hoping for. Uh, his side slipping into the relegation zone in his first league game in charge. But the Norwegian isn't panicking just yet. There's this tight league from... Palace up to Hull from the 17 till 23 points, so there's six points from the bottom till the 10. Of course, that's a league in itself. We just got to make sure we keep nicking points here, uh, here and there where we maybe don't expect it. So, uh, and then we have uh, many home games against teams in that from 10 and down. So we've got uh, our games to get our points here. Yeah. Yes, on paper, some winnable matches coming up and, and Vincent Tan's made it very clear that there's money to spend in January. I'm a great admirer of Oligon Solskjaer. I think he's done a fantastic job in Mulder and I hope he continues to do that. Who he brings in is going to be very important. I do think they've got enough about them. 
because of Corker. I like Gary Medell. I just like Whittingham. He's got quality. So I, I think there's lots of positives about Cardiff and, and they've got enough to stay in the division. I said that when Malky was in. I, I don't change my opinion. I just think it's very important. They need to start getting some results, particularly at home. From one relegation six-pointer to another as Sunderland moved off the bottom thanks to an inspired 4-1 win at Fulham. Black Cats hero Adam Johnson, who scored a superb hat-trick and his teammate and captain John O'Shea believes there's a lot more to come from the England midfielder. The way he performed today, he was pretty much untouchable, you know, so as long as he can maintain that standard and that belief, because we know he's got the ability, so if he can maintain that, that'll be great for us. The manager's fully aware of that, and I think all the players are too. The way he attacks players, the way he plays past players and can create free kicks, set pieces. For England as well, he's a special player to have, but he's got to maintain that consistency, and I think with the World Cup coming up in the summer, if he can maintain that, he's, he's going to do himself the world of good. That's got to be the key. We saw again what he can do. We've had glimpses of that over the years, but can he do it on a regular basis? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I watched him when he was a young boy for long periods and he's out. he was outstanding. I think, I'll be brutally honest with that, I think he's lost his focus. I think it's been too comfortable for him. The City move, I think he got into a comfort zone, coming on a sub for 20 minutes... That's, that shouldn't be enough for any player. He's got Sunderland and not really hit the ground running. He's capable of achieving a lot more than he has done thus far. And that's not meant harshly. That's because I was a great admirer. I tried to sign him years ago when he was, you know, and tried to get involved with, with taking him from, from his club. But um, it's a very important time for him and for Sunderland. If he performs like he can, I think Sunderland have got a realistic chance. Well, let's uh, speak to a man now who's been in football even longer than you, Ian. Um, Eddie Swinburne attended <laughs> his first match in 1957 as a 10-year-old. He's been following the Mackhams ever since. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Thanks, Marcus. Now, before we speak about this season, your first match was 56 years ago. You must have experienced every emotion possible in football. <laughs> Oh, just about every uh, high and low it's possible to get, I think. What, what, what are the standout memories for you? Oh, going back to 57, the first home game was uh, was Bolton at home. And, I mean, that Loftus was playing for Bolton. He, he actually, Sunderland uh, won that game 2-1, if I remember rightly, and uh, that Loftus scored for Bolton. But, I mean, there's been dozens and dozens to, up till 73 when we won the Cup, as you remember. I just went with my dad and uh, stood in the clock stand at Roker Park and then uh, I had such a carry-on trying to get a uh, ticket for the Cup final that um, I said, well, this is not going to happen anymore. So since 1974, I've been a season ticket holder. Eddie, just to bring him back to the modern day, I was at the uh, Villa game at home you know, almost despair around the ground. Now, to change that into such, you know, a mitigated joy away at Fulham, you think this is, the consistency is an area they need to sort out this year? I've seen them three or four times, and they have been particularly inconsistent. They have. That's been the problem. But I was just discussing this the other day with a couple of mates. I think Sunderland this year, up to, up to present, have had a little bit of the, the same uh, trouble as Newcastle had last year, in that Newcastle brought a lot of new foreign players in, about six, seven, eight or something, mostly French. And uh, we've done the same the last summer. And it takes a lot of time for these players to bed in. I mean, it's not just a matter of uh, going out on the pitch for an hour and a half and perform. They basically come to a foreign country, they've got language uh, differences, and they've got to find out accommodation, where they're going to live, and all this sort of thing. And, uh, all that must affect these players coming in from uh, parts of uh, Europe and stuff. I've said all along, mostly this season, where I think that's been part of the problem that they need time to bed in and get to know each other. But it looks like, I was just saying to the lads the other day that I sit with, it really, really looks as though we've uh, we've found a manager who we can uh, go places with. I like Gus Poirier. I think his way of football, he certainly um, turned the team around with the respect of, of how they play. You can see it on the pitch. They're starting to pass the ball. 
ball, you know, rather than just the goalkeeper lumping the ball upfield and coming back again uh, 20 seconds later, they're starting to play football and they're certainly responding to uh, Poirier's coaching methods, that's for sure. Yeah, he's got you off the bottom and to within one game of the League Cup final as well. Um, Eddie, just a final point. Of course, Sunderland used to play at Roker Park. Everyone's heard of the famous Roker Roar, now the Stadium of Light. Just how passionate are the Sunderland fans these days, maybe compared to 10 or 20 years ago, and how much do they help the team? Well, they do, they do, Marcus, because the Roker Park was, was certainly a more compact ground, so the noise factor was maybe a little bit more. The stadium light, as much as I love it, is, is not as compact and you don't get the resonance of the, of the crowd as much. But having said that, I suppose when the, the players keep saying that when they're on the pitch and playing, the noise levels are, are very, very good. So uh, that's all you can really go off. Eddie, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed for for joining us and and the very best of luck for the rest of the season. Thanks a lot, Marcus. That is Eddie Swinburne, who has been following Sunderland since 1957. Next two games for them against uh, Southampton and Stoke, both at home. Really good weekend for them, really bad one for Fulham. That defeat leaves them just one point above the relegation zone. And their captain, Scott Parker, knows they need to start improving quickly. We're running out of games, so we need to try and put it right together and hopefully bounce back from this and go again. The season isn't long with it, the other side of Christmas now. We're in a dogfight, you know, it's going to be difficult for us and we've got to go out there with a mentality that we've got to try and win as many games as we can, give ourselves a chance. We're not giving ourselves a chance at times, but when it's 4-1 and you lose a game, it's, it's disappointing. Well, Ian, they had chances early on, they missed them and, of course, when you concede so many goals up the other end, you've simply got to take those chances. Senderos and Amora Vieta, not sure about that partnership. Hangland's a very important player for him, as is Stecklenburg. And also Berbatov missing a couple of guilt-edged chances. They could have well been 2-1 ahead in the game. They, they weren't, and they've, they've conceded too many goals. By some distance, they've conceded more goals than anyone else. It's something he's got to put right. Yeah, it's 46 that they've uh, shipped already this season. Replacing Sunderland at the bottom of the table are Crystal Palace, who went down 2-0 at London rivals Spurs, thanks to second-half strikes from Christian Eriksen and Jermaine Defoe. It means that under Tim Sherwood, Ian Spurs have picked up 13 points from five games. I know it's early days, but it's given them a, a platform upon which to build, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, as Tim's done very well. You know, clearly had a thought in his mind, very clear the way he wanted to play. Wants to play wrist football, or, or, or so we lead, led to believe. I think an unconvincing performance against Crystal Palace, who probably should have been up at half-time, and that, that makes a totally different game. But nonetheless, they found a way to win. 13 points from five games, a very, very good return. You know, he's got one or two players out, he's coping with them. You know, like of Polino and players like Sandro, when they get back, you know, I think that adds a little bit more resilience. And I think there's no problem playing 4-4-2, but you can't play 4-4-2 with Ben Taleb and Dembele away at the bigger games or against the bigger teams, in my opinion. He may well do that. Well, on the weekend that Jermaine Defoe announced he's leaving the club to join Toronto in the MLS, he came off the bench in typical fashion to notch his 143rd goal for the club. And some of his teammates paid tribute to the England man after the match. He'll be a great asset for uh, Toronto and he'll be sadly missed at the club. He's gave nine years, I think, great um, work to the club and uh, said he'll be dearly missed. For us, it's very important. I think uh, everybody knows his quality and, uh, of course, we will miss him for sure. Wherever he plays or anywhere in the world, he will score goals. That's why he's, uh, he's an automatic, I would say, choice well, to be on that plane for Brazil. Tim Sherwood, Moussa Dembele and uh, before him Danny Rose paying tribute to Defoe who scored 22 goals coming off the bench. Are you a little surprised that he's going to Canada right now? Yes, I'm very surprised he's going to Canada right now. What I think is that an opportunities arose for him 
to secure his family's future for the long term. He's not quite sure where he'll be. My view is he definitely would have got a Barclays Premier League club if Spurs didn't offer him another deal. I think he's one of them great subs who can get a goal out of anything. He doesn't miss chances. Talking of missed chances, the <laughs> Jason Punchin penalty. Have you seen a worse one? In Have the I Barclays taken a worse Premier one? League? I know you've taken a worse one. Listen, I've never... I watch his run-up. He's far too relaxed. I mean, his body shape's terrible. It's leaning back. He's, you know, his, his body's leaning to the right and he's putting a shot to the left. He's got to be... It just looks sloppy. Said he was caught in two minds at the moment of contact. Well, he didn't, he didn't commit to the shot at all. He looked like it was a, a stroll in the park on a Sunday afternoon. He was just hitting a ball out wide to a friend of his. Crucial moment. And a crucial moment, maybe, in Palace's season. You know, they get that goal when they're playing well. And now Spurs, as you well know, the fans are going to be under all sorts of pressure. They've got pace to play on the counter-attack. Their little moments like that can change your season. Point and a place above Spurs in fifth at Everton, who continued their good recent home form with a comfortable 2-0 victory over Norwich. Gareth Barry with his 50th Barclays Premier League goal and, and almost certainly his best. And Kevin Morales as well. Both of them superb long-range strikes to make up for the disappointment of not having Ross Barkley, who's going to be sidelined for a, a few weeks with a broken toe. A little bit of lack of depth to his squad for Martinez, but found a way to win. Now, they had good little periods in the game, but the first half, Norwich were totally put to the sword. It could have been a lot, lot worse. Second half, they were much, you know, very much back in the game. But as I've said, the best 11, if you can get the best 11 out of Everton, they're a real, real threat. Well, a clean sheet was a real positive for Roberto Martinez. So many defensive injuries, as we've mentioned. One man just back from a layoff himself is the captain, Phil Jagielka. If you think about the players that haven't been available and, and, and probably weren't available today, and we still had a pretty decent looking bench as well. Well, so um, the squad is you know, decent in numbers and, and uh, hopefully we get a few of those boys back as, as quick as possible and, and it's going to be an interesting end to the season. There's many teams that can go on fantastic runs but as far as we're concerned if we keep putting the performances in you know, if, as a defensive unit keep keeping clean sheets and the lads keep scoring goals like they do today uh, we're not going to be far off. Likely to be a very nervous end of the season for Norwich that was their sixth league match without a win they're just two points above the bottom three in 15th. Ricky Van Volswinkel returned from injury his only goal though remains the one he scored against Everton on the opening day of the season. Yeah, but I mean, he's had a long period out with injuries. He said himself he's very frustrated with that. I think if he gets a run of games, he'll score goals. Him and Hooper, I think, potentially can be a, a very good strike force. And whether you play both of them or one of them, maybe both at home, one away. You've got to say, where do you expect Norwich to be? I mean, it's, it's bizarre that people are unbelievably critical of Chris Hewton. He done a magnificent job last year following from Paul Lambert. And I think, you know, they're above the relegation zone now. So let Chris get up on his job. Yeah, and already busy in the transfer market with uh, Gutierrez being signed on loan for the rest of the season. Let's round off the weekend's matches at St Mary's where Southampton recorded only their second win in 10, beating West Brom 1-0 thanks to an Adam Lalana strike. The most important thing was uh, getting the three points. Uh, we've had a tough run of late, but we've had a great week, great build-up to the game and um, we knew we just maybe had to get back to basics. It was good having the whole week to prepare for the game, maybe mentally, and um, it's fantastic for us getting these three points today. It's, it's good that we're getting a, a few key players back fit now. We can give it a right good push uh, at the back into the season. Well, it was a scrappy game that Southampton did dominate in. They've been going through a, a rough patch. Is that down to the injuries or teams figuring them out? Yeah, I think three of the back five were out. You know, Boric back, Klein back, Shaw back, Lovren back. You know, they've all been missing. Plus, Wayne Yarma's been missing. You know, they've had one or two injury concerns. Um, other than that, I think they may, may well come very strong. I, I sense when they get their, that belief back, 
they'll be a difficult side to play from now to the end of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if Southampton finished the season very, very strongly. As for West Brom, it was their first defeat in five matches. New manager Pepe Mel was watching from the stands and defender Stephen Reid is looking forward to a new era at the Hawthorns. You know, obviously excited to work under him and we believe that he, he likes an attacking style of football and we've seen uh, other managers coming into the English game, you know, how they play. We've seen Pochettino, the way his side have set up and we obviously look forward to the, the new challenge and the new manager coming in. Well, Pepe Mel certainly got a very good reputation from his time in Spain for attacking football, but he, he hasn't got long to make an impact, has he, been in the transfer market or in the, the latter stages of the season? Well, I think they may well hit the nail on the head there, whether he will operate or whether the chairman will operate with his director of football, Richard Garlick, in the, in the transfer window. That may be the case. I still think he, he may well rue the decision to get rid of Steve Clark. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what movements are in and out. Pepe Mel clearly had some fantastic times at Betis to get them seventh, qualify for the Europa League and play a really good brand of football. I think that's what they want. I, I would be very wary of, of changing West Brom into an open, free-flowing side at this stage of the season. By all means, do it next year. Let's just make sure they get over the line or are a Barclays Premier League side next year. Well, let's get some predictions from you in the form of uh, one-word yes or no answers. Um, can Sunderland make it back-to-back wins at home to Southampton? No. Will Dimitar Berbatov score for Fulham against the club supposedly keen to sign him at the Emirates? Away from home, no. Will Palace climb off the bottom with a win in that match you mentioned yes. against Stoke? Yes. Will Manchester United end Jose Mourinho's unbeaten league record at Stamford Bridge on Sunday? No Rooney, no Van Persie, no. That's a sort of one-word answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and will West Brom's new coach Pepe Mel get off to a winning start at home to Everton on Monday night? No. Thank you. Do tweet us your weekend predictions at Barclays Footy. Ian, really enjoyed your company once again. Thank you very much indeed. Before we go, have a try at this week's trivia teaser. Against Hull at the weekend, Chelsea's Patacek kept his 150th clean sheet in the Barclays Premier League. Only one goalkeeper has kept more clean sheets in the Barclays Premier League era. Can you name him? And for a bonus point, how many did he keep? If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook page and we'll reveal the answer on the site later in the week. We'll be back next week to discuss all the weekend's action, including the crucial home matches for Crystal Palace, Sunderland and West Ham and the small matter of Chelsea against Manchester United at Stamford Bridge. But until then, from Ian Dowie and me, Marcus Buckland, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays.